Uh, this morning is a very special service, and uh, we're going to be looking at uh, one of the ordinances of the church. And as there's two ordinances that are clearly taught in Scripture that we are to still practice today. One of those, some of you witnessed a couple weeks ago with the baptism, the believer's baptism. And I would encourage you here today, if you've never been baptized by immersion, if you've never been uh, baptized into uh, a believer's baptism, then I would encourage you to see me because uh, the scriptures uh, say that uh, that is the next step in obedience. It does nothing to add to your salvation but it is a response of an obedient heart. And so if you have trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, never been baptized, I'd love to speak to you about that. We are currently working on another baptismal service in December. So uh, see me about that. But today we're going to be focusing on the Lord's Supper. And so in preparing this sermon, uh, I really, I, I don't know if it was, was Halloween or, or what, but I, I just had some real spiritual battles going on. Uh, which, by the way, this isn't one of you. I know some of you are staring <laughs> intently. No, I did not cut myself shaving, all right? <laughs> uh, several of you have asked that, I know. Um, but uh, it, I actually went this past week. They did uh, remove a spot. It's being tested. I'll go in on Wednesday this week and get some results. So please keep that in prayer. But um, anyways, uh, this morning looking at the Lord's Supper, a couple of thoughts as I was preparing this. I realize for some of you, you have different backgrounds. You've been in churches where they do it one way. Been in another church, they do it another way. I want to try and give us some history, but I don't want us to get bogged down there. Um, so let's see if we can kind of work our way through this this morning. Uh, the first question some of you may be asking, where did it begin? Where did this whole idea of the, the Lord's Supper, I mean, what is this about? I hope this morning to encourage you with God's Word to understand, to reflect upon the truth of why we do this. And so in order to do this, we need to kind of go back in time somewhat and lay some foundation. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer at this time if we could. Father, I ask that you would just clear my mind that you would give me clarity of thought, that I would be able to focus on the truth that you have. I pray, Lord, that you would just anoint me with your Holy Spirit. I pray that the hearts of the listeners would be open this morning. I pray that you would minister in a special way. I ask that the presence of the Holy Spirit would just search our minds and search our hearts. Lord, convict us of any sin. And may today we be humble before you and glorify your name. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. So where did it begin? Well, to understand the whole idea, we've got to go back to the beginning of time. Genesis 3.21. Now you remember the story, the fall of man has happened. And um, Adam and Eve have hidden themselves. They are in their sin and their shame and their nakedness. And Genesis 3.21 tells us, that God clothed them in animal skin. Why is that significant? Well, there's a lot there. Now, I can't 
dogmatically prove this from the text. I believe uh, Answers in Genesis has done a great job. And I would agree that I believe that first animal that was slain to provide clothing was a lamb. And that was a foreshadowing of what was to come. That ultimately one day the Lamb of God would provide the clothing that you and I need to cover our shame, to cover our nakedness before a holy God. We fast forward in time a little bit and we come to the Passover. And again, I'm not going to spend too much time in these texts, but I just more or less want to touch on them. And I would encourage you in your own time to go back and study these things because in them you can clearly see Jesus Christ. This scripture from beginning to end, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, points us to the person of Jesus Christ. And the Passover, as it was uh, first implemented, you'll remember, you recall the story, uh, Moses had been telling Pharaoh, let my people go, which by the way, I saw Pharaoh and his wife last night. Uh, you missed out. Uh, the teens had a, had a big party over at uh, Mark and Holly Gentry, and uh, they dressed, Mark and Holly dressed as a Pharaoh and Mrs. Pharaoh. And uh, be sure you get a look at those pictures. But uh, in this case, the biblical text, Pharaoh uh, was told, Moses said, let my people go, speaking on behalf of the Lord. And, of course, you know, Pharaoh hardened his heart, would not, refused. The plagues came, and the last plague, the firstborn being struck dead. And you remember, the Passover was implemented. And what it entailed was, and again, go look in Exodus 12 when you got time to dig in deep. But in summary, one of the things they would do is take a lamb without blemish, without spot, they would sacrifice it. And part of the process was to put the blood over the door. And when the Lord passed by, the angel of death would not destroy uh, those children. Those, uh, those people were protected because as the Lord passed by, He would see the blood and He would pass over. Hence, the Passover feast was implemented. Again, so much is there. Such symbolism, such foreshadowing, pointing to Christ, the Lamb of God. And so I would encourage you, take some time because that's where uh, this current practice of the Lord's Supper is implemented. It's, it's there. Uh, notice also, and let's go ahead and take our Bibles and look at this passage and we see uh, what's often referred to as the Last Supper. And if you would, take your Bibles and turn with me to Mark chapter 14, verse 12. We'll do some reading here. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? Again, here they were, practicing the Passover. And he sent out two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, 
and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. Wherever he goes in, say to the, uh, to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large upper room, furnished and prepared. There, make ready for us. So his disciples went out and came into the city and found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. In the evening he came with the twelve. Now as they sat and ate, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say to him one by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? He answered and said to them, It is one of the twelve who dips with me in the dish. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Here we see, again, um, the Passover. And yet, in this Last Supper, this final hour of Jesus' life physically here on earth, prior to the crucifixion, you see Him observing the Passover feast. They'd all gathered there, as many had done, in Jerusalem. It was a festival. The, the, uh, the Passover and the um, Feast of Unleavened Bread, is, it's often referred to as well. They go hand in hand. There's much there for us to see. But what's the point? Well, when you think about everything we just talked about, from Genesis to Exodus to the Last Supper, the point is this. There must be a sacrificial death to atone for the sin of man. You see, the Scriptures tell us that the life is in the blood. And whether it was that lamb, as I believe, in the beginning of time, whether it was the lamb whose blood was put across the door, these sacrifices that were offered for many years, as we see in the Old Testament, all pointed to one thing. They all pointed to one person, the person of Jesus Christ. In the Passover... The unleavened bread equals no sin. The lamb, we find that shedding of blood, and as the Scriptures tell us, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. In communion, or the Lord's Supper as it's referred to, the bread, as Jesus said in that passage we just read, 
The bread is the body. The cup is the blood. Jesus Christ is the sinless Lamb of God. And I know I'm just sort of brushing over these things, and I really did not want to do that. Uh, As I studied this, I thought, I really need to just do series after series after series on this subject. And Lord willing, we will go into these things more in depth. So bear with me. Um, But for this morning, we're just sort of skimming through some of these points before we get to the central text that I want us to focus on. The point, there must be a sacrificial death to atone for the sin of man. Animal sacrifices didn't do it. Now the faith in which those were offered begin, they, 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 they offered these because they knew that God had promised that ultimately one day He would send the Lamb of God. God would provide the sacrifice needed to not just cover man's sin, but to remove man's sin. And that person is Jesus Christ. And so when he said this is a new covenant, when he compared himself, and by the way, you want to hear about the bread, you go through John chapter 6. Jesus is the bread of life. He talked to many and many stumbled at this teaching and many turned away and left because they said, this is too difficult. When he would say, you need to eat of my flesh. You need to drink of my blood. What does he mean? What is he saying? They thought, this is difficult. And the Catholics get it wrong when they teach that in some miraculous moment, when you take this bread, it all of a sudden becomes Jesus Christ's body. And that somehow when you drink the cup, it automatically becomes miraculously Jesus' blood. No, that's not what Jesus was saying when He said, do this in remembrance of Me. What does it represent? Who does it represent? It represents the person of Jesus Christ. And yes, spiritually speaking, we do need to partake of Jesus. We do need to drink. He said, if you're hungry, come. If you're thirsty, come. He satisfies. And only He can spiritually satisfy. So this morning as we partake in the Lord's Supper. It's not something miraculous that happens in the offering of the pastor's prayer. The miraculous is when Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, went to a cross, laid down His life for you and for me. By the way, Jesus said, He broke the bread. No one else broke it. Only He could lay down His life. No one took it. He laid it down sacrificially for you, for me. So, why do we do it? Why why do we partake in this? Well, Christ commanded it. 
Notice in Luke twenty two nineteen, And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Isn't it interesting that the uh, Old Testament is looking forward to the Messiah? So when they would do the Passover feast, they were anticipating. They were looking to the future. Yet... Jesus declared in this Passover feast, imagine you're in the upper room, you're here celebrating the Passover feast, looking forward, and Jesus says, do this in remembrance. He's setting a new covenant, a new commandment, because He's getting ready to go to the cross, it's getting ready to be paid in full, it's getting ready to be said it's finished. And so now, we look back, The Passover looked forward to redemption. The Lord's Supper looks both back to Calvary and it looks forward to glory. What do I mean? Well, the text we read earlier, as we'll see in just a minute as well, he alludes to the point that as often as you do this in remembrance of me, you you proclaim the Lord's death, until what? He comes. Church, we need to realize Jesus is coming. He is coming again. And we need to be ready. We need to be awake for that return. Well, how do we partake? Let's look to Paul for these instructions, and this is where I want to camp out this morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we're going to be looking at verses 17 through 34. And I'll put this up on the screen for you. Notice verse 17. Now, in giving these instructions, Paul says, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worst. First of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Now let me stop for a minute. If you know anything about the Corinthian church, it was in a mess, wasn't it? And we kind of touched on some things here. We went through spiritual gifts. Paul has to address that. There's all kinds of stuff going on, all types of division in the Corinthian church. Very carnal Um, very fleshly. And once again, Paul is telling them, he's giving them some loving correction. And in regards to this Lord's Supper, there was a tradition that actually began, uh, and I believe it's closely associated with, obviously, what happened with the Passover feast. But in the early church, they began to implement what's called a love feast. 
and they would gather and they would have a big meal. And as you can see in the early church in Acts 2 and so forth and so on, they would go house to house, the breaking of bread. Some people believe that this may have been the actual Lord's Supper being carried out on a daily basis. But they would have meals. They would have these times of fellowship. They would have this banquet. And everyone would bring food, kind of like our potlucks, our homecoming we're getting ready to participate in. They were doing homecomings way back in Paul's day, okay? Now, I know they probably didn't have quite as good cooking as some of you ladies produced. But anyways, nonetheless, they had some good food, I'm sure. They would come together and they'd have these big feasts. Well, Paul gets word that some of these people um, had been coming in there and, and with the wrong attitude, with the wrong mindset. He hears that there's division amongst them. And notice verse 19. This is an odd line here. For there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. What? What does that mean? Well, how do you know what good is unless you know evil? How do you know what's hot without cold? I believe Paul's making a statement here that, yeah, there's factions among you, and you know what's happening? There's wheats and tares in the church. And sometimes these little skirmishes, these little divisions, these little happenings that go on in the church... They happen so that those who are approved, those who are truly following after Christ, have the opportunity to respond in a Christ-like way. They have the opportunity to stand for the truth. And it becomes evident through the skirmishes oftentimes who the approved are. So Paul says, there must be these things. It has to happen. It's, it's, It's part of it. Verse 20, therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others. He says, listen, don't don't tell me that you're coming together for the Lord's Supper. You're not coming together for the agape feast. You may say that. I'm not going to praise you for what you think you're doing because that's not what you're doing. You've got one who's hungry. And yet, here's someone taking his own supper, bypassing the poor guy that ain't got squat, and he's going to sit over here with his bucket of KFC. And he ain't giving none to that guy, because I don't really care for it. That's what's going on. And he says, he takes his supper ahead of others, and one who was hungry, and another is drunk. They were hanging around the uh, cup a little too long, I think. They were partying it up. They were coming drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. For I received from the Lord that which I also deliver to you. 
that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You see, Paul knew some of the people who would come together, their attitude was wrong. It was selfish. It was self-centeredness. It was about them, therefore, no more. Yet in their midst, there were those who were hungry. And they weren't willing to help them, to feed them. There were those who came with a flippant attitude. Just ritualistic, humdrum. They were drunk. The heart and the mindset was inappropriate. And Paul gives them the instructions that the Lord had given to him, whether it was by supernatural revelation or whether it was through an apostle sharing with him. You can decide. The bottom line is it was from the Lord. And it says that on the night in which he was betrayed, you remember... Judas, Jesus knew that Judas was there participating in the final supper. I realized this morning here in our midst, in our church, potentially there's a Judas amongst us. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean... Just as Judas was self-centered, his God was money. Some of you, your God's money. Some of you, your God is something else. It's a relationship. Some of you, God is your family. Some of you, God is your job. We're betraying Jesus. Paul alludes to the fact that when the same night he knew what was coming, he knew he was going to be betrayed. No doubt he had a love for Judas. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. Judas was unwilling to repent, turn from his God and turn to the true God. And some of you here this morning and you have that same hardness in your heart. For whatever reason, you love your sin more than you love the Savior. And I implore you and I beg you, repent. Turn from what you love and turn to the one who loves you. When he had given thanks. What? Jesus Christ is going to be betrayed. He's getting ready to go through one of the most severe punishments that a man could ever experience. He was going to be marred so bad that you would not even be able to recognize he's human. And he gives thanks. Woe is me, I am undone. He gave thanks. 
You see, Jesus endured the cross and the suffering because of the joy set before Him. He knew what was beyond that cross. Church, your suffering is temporary. As a believer of Jesus Christ, there's so much more beyond the pain of this world. And I want to encourage you this morning, look beyond the cross you bear to the glory. He broke it and said, Take ye, this is my body, which is broken for you. Jesus did that for us. He took our punishment. He paid our penalty. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 25, In the same manner, He also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till He comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself... And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup, for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment, and the rest I will set in order when I come. Paul is telling the Corinthians, look, put self aside, focus on the Lord. Realize his selflessness. And there's a strong, strong warning that I want to reiterate again this morning. If you're here and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, pass on the Lord's table. If you're here this morning and you guard sin in your heart and life, there's something that you're holding on to, pass. Because Paul tells us that if we partake of this in an unworthy manner, judgment is what will follow. That's strong. I'll tell you this testimony. My brother, he's a couple years older than me, and uh, my brother was a star athlete. I mean, he loved sports. You've heard me tell this before, but ends up, he's probably in his early 20s at this time when this happened. He had gotten involved in racing with a um, 
some church folks that he went to church with, and they wanted him to drive their car. And he started off in the little, you know, uh, endurance races and did great. He won some first place, got a little extra cash. Well, they ended up um, asking him to drive one of their baby grand cars. They actually had, you know, the different uh, levels of racing, and and this was, um, you know, a couple steps up. And so he said he would. He had gone out to Caraway Speedway, was qualifying for racing, and he had qualified a pole position, was looking forward to a great start in his racing career. He'd gone over on a Thursday to get in a few laps to practice, and at 70 miles per hour, his steering wheel messed up. He went straight into the wall head on. was pinned in the car. He had to get the jaws of life to cut him out. In the process, he lost a kneecap. They told him they didn't think he would ever walk normal again. Um, he has since gone on. He runs. He's a, he's a referee. He umpires. He's, he's still athletic. But I'll never forget. I was an unbeliever at the time. But I remember my brother telling me this when I visited him in the hospital. He said, I knew I should not have taken the Lord's Supper Sunday. He said, I had sin in my life. And he accredited the loss of his kneecap to the chastening hand of God. I don't know your heart. I don't know where you're at. God does. And that's why Paul says if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. In just a moment, we are going to have an opportunity for us to get things right. And I want to encourage you, church, whatever it is, take it to the cross because the Lamb of God has taken away the sin of you and I. Sometimes we just need to go to Him to seek that forgiveness to be made whole, to be clean. Well, as we get ready to partake in this Lord's Supper, what we should do is this. We should give thanks. We should remember His sacrifice for us. And we should examine ourselves. And we need to show love for one another. Going to ask our pianist to come and play, if you would, please. And as we get ready to move into this phase of taking of the Lord's Supper, I just want to encourage all of you to just spend some quiet moments as he plays, reflecting on what this is about, on who God is. And it's a twofold thing. It's sort of a somber, yet a celebration at the same time. It's somber because, yes, it should cause us to look inward and it should cause us to be broken before the Lord in repentance. And yet at the same time, what a, what a great joy to know that my sins are forgiven. That Christ has made a way. What I want to do is I want to open up the altar. And whatever you need to do.
just come and pray and spend some time with God. And let's get our hearts prepared. Let's get our minds prepared as we gather around the Lord's table this morning. If you don't feel led to come, don't come. Just seek the Lord where you are. The altar is open. Let us pray. Father, I ask that you will just search hearts and minds. I pray, Lord, that during this time that uh, as you deal with hearts and lives, that you just do what you do. And Lord, I'm just going to remain quiet for, for a while and let you speak to your people. Thank you.